and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on French science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy. And I'm Ross Blotcher. And we're back to tell you more about Bob Larson and exorcism. And exorcism. So uh, just, <laughs> good. just in case you were thinking that Bob Larson maybe has given up this whole thing, maybe this is old news, mm-hmm. we just got an email from Bob yesterday. He's still sending out his regular Bob's blogs, and this one caught my eye. Well, most of them do, but this one particularly caught my eye because it was addressed to me. It said, you have a demon. Whoa. Yeah. Coming out strong. So maybe, maybe. I'm sure I got this email, but I haven't read this. Maybe this speaks to you, listener, as well. Let's just read a little bit from Bob's latest newsletter. He says, You, yes, you have a demon. Perhaps not everyone reading this, but the majority. Oh. You are. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Okay. You are demonized and don't know it. Forget about the notion that demon-possessed people are like zombies from Night of the Living Dead. In most cases, demons don't display their presence to the unsuspecting. They hide. They burrow deep in the mind and emotions. They come out when it suits their purposes, but otherwise work their evil schemes undetected. Demons are like a metastasizing cancer that is initially painless and unnoticeable, but in the end, left unchallenged, kills. Some years ago, a reporter from the New York Times asked me, what percentage of the population do you think has demons? Good question. I answered that at least half are demonized. For a moment, I felt unsettled to make such a bold claim. But as I reflected, I realized my answer was wrong. Not overestimated, underestimated. For God's sake. Those with demons (laughs) include good people, even godly people. In many cases, the demons were ancestrally inherited. The individual lives under a curse because of the witchcraft of their forebearers. Possessed people often live with internalized evil for so long that they don't know their own identity versus what's demonic. This bondage can go on for years, even decades, until something threatens the demon's stealth strategy. Mm. A person with a demon, including a Christian, may struggle with moral lapses of lust or battle recurring addictions. They may occasionally have fits of rage or dark depression. Relationships may crumble. Sometimes paranormal things happen, which they try to explain away. If they tell a pastor... They are likely to be told to pray more, read the Bible more, give more, have more faith. They try that, but the torment and dysfunction persist. At that point, who are you going to call? An exorcist. But those are few and most operate with scant experience and knowledge. Not us. We went to school. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's why we established the International School of Exorcism. Hell yeah, my alma mater. Advanced, yeah, we need like a fight song or something. Totally. And the Advanced Academy of Deliverance and why we daily minister by virtual encounters. If your life is troubled and nothing is helped, Move beyond the not-me attitude to considering prayers of deliverance. Healing is at hand. Freedom is available. Liberation from lifelong struggles is near. Be willing to admit that you might have a demon and contact us immediately. 
Health, hope, and victory over evil awaits. Hell yeah. Thank you, Bob. Wow, you can really trace Bob's arc from the early 60s where he's like, no, Christians can't have demons. Possession is extremely rare. <laughs> to oh, actually, okay, no, they're they're quite common, and and I, occasionally Christians have them. To most people, yeah, are possessed. Like I always say, you know, when you have a hammer, everything looks like a demon. <laughs> you always say that. I always say that, and I've always thought that is a weird saying, Ross. <laughs> That's what I always say. So, um, <laughs> no, I think this leads well into the topics that we're covering today in the International School of Exorcism. When we left off last time, we were halfway through level two, the warrior level, and we're ready to tell you about the rest. But yeah, it's a day of learning more about demons. Hope you're strapped in. Yeah, to a table with uh, nylon straps, as the demoniac are. It's as if you're sitting in on a class. It's like you're auditing this course. You, the listener. Because our listeners have so many demons. True. But also because we actually matriculated through this esteemed (laughs) university, the Bob Larson School of Exorcism. But they get all the same information, maybe not as formally. You know, they're not certified the way I am. But, you know, it's like they got to audit the course. But of course, if you want to have... The same level of prestige as Carrie. Mm -hmm. You too can sign Mm -hmm. up for the International School of Exorcism and pay way less than we did. There's a really, oh my God, there's such a difficult admissions process though. You have to study so hard. (laughs) You know, there are so many tests and I mean, I had to know my address. I had to know my credit card number. Yeah, tough. My first and last name. Uh, All this information. But I got in. You did. You know, we're just that special. All right, so we're in the warrior level because we are warriors. Mm -hmm. And I was excited. What was the first level again? The apprentice level. You're fired. Okay. (laughs) And he is. (laughs) (laughs) He's been cast out, you might say. Well, not yet. All right, jumping back into course six, the hierarchy of evil. I got really excited when I saw this title. Yeah, we're going to learn about how all of these demons are organized. You know, they've got structure. Yeah. Yeah. Is it like there's Lucifer and then he like has a cabinet of demons? Did you ever read the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis? I did, but I was probably like 15, so I don't remember it very well. I read many C.S. Lewis books, but somehow I never read the screw tape letters until just a couple years Mm. ago. It's interesting because it's from the viewpoint of the demons and correspondence. They're writing each other letters as they're trying to torment, I think, one guy in particular and people in general. And then you kind of learn their ranks and the, the deference they have to pay to higher officers and It's all very silly, but I keep thinking about that book as we make our way through these courses because there's this whole ranking. You know, you have your lieutenants and your generals, but the different names for the orders. And let's learn what they are. So I love this, that in order to talk about this ranking system, the first visual Bob (laughs) gets is a hotel because he just spends half of his life (laughs) in hotel ballrooms with no windows. (laughs) 
Thanksgiving exorcisms. Right. So right up at the top, he tells us that our soul is like a huge hotel with many rooms. Yeah. I don't know. I just think that's so funny. Like if I had to think of something with a lot of rooms, I'd be like, you know, a house, a mansion. A mansion. Or I don't know. But a hotel is so specific. Well, maybe he wouldn't want to use the mansion one because that might get confused with the mansion that Jesus is preparing for us. That's probably right. And uh, if it were not so, Bob would have told us. So yeah, we're talking luxury hotel here too. Bob gets really into describing all of the meeting rooms and the desk clerks and the <laughs> cleaning staff and engineering and and so many little side rooms and eight floors or whatever it is. So imagine that. And that is the soul of an individual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all of you who are demon-possessed, just imagine your demons living in this giant hotel. <laughs> imagine you are a hotel. That is your soul. You- <laughs> Oh, now I'm picturing like a little uh, hotel with like a smiley face and the little feet sticking out the bottom and honestly pretty cute. He leads with a bit of this hierarchy that he's been alluding to. It almost sounds like biological classification because at the top you have kingdoms and under kingdoms are rulers and principalities and powers. And then you have minions. Those are your individual demons or the little yellow things. And I wonder what he thinks of that. Like, why why are they trying to make the word minion sound good? Oh, yeah. I bet Bob would have a problem with that. You know what? I want to ask Bob, like, what are some of your favorite secular movies of the last 10 Hold on. I'm adding that to our list. Okay, good. I have a different list. What are your favorite films of the past 10 or 20 years? What do you think of minions and then those individual demons that seems to be the foot soldier the basic level they have assignments that they're given yeah and it's like having a corporate job it's just (laughs) like everybody has their little area right and you report to your higher up and then your higher up says okay so this guy's working on america and this one over here is working on sexual sin. <laughs> and Gabe, you're working on greed. Okay, great, great, great. That was another thing and in then, screw tape letters is there were regional demons like, oh yeah, I'm part of the Northern European branch. These were, of course, all British demons. <laughs> and I'm sure all um, these demons have resumes. You know, like I'd really like to apply yeah. for lust. I think that would be really well suited to my <laughs> to my skills. I'm actually I'm reading a book called Bullshit Jobs right now. So <laughs> The person who is the head of all of those foot soldiers would be the one who really is doing nothing but needs to justify that they're there. Yeah, I wonder if they also get promoted to their point of least competence. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, this is uh, not too different from corporate America. Yeah, I think it's one of those metaphors or hierarchies that you're just not supposed to think about too much. Because if you start asking these questions of like, I don't know, do they have unions? Do they get time off? (laughs) (laughs) It all becomes very absurd. See, now, if I asked that question, you'd give me a look like, Carrie, they're not going to take you seriously. (laughs) But it's also really hard to tell where that line Mm, is mm -hmm. for everybody. Because sometimes you ask a question and they're like, yeah, no, they have unions. You're like, oh. And you're like, oh, sorry, Carrie, I shouldn't have doubted. <laughs> okay. I shouldn't have doubted that question I thought was a dumb question. <laughs> right. No, because it's like, it was a dumb answer waiting for know. it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's impossible to know where that line is when you're talking about the hierarchy of demons. Uh, the important thing is that none of this is just haphazard or willy nilly. 
or airy fairy or any other little combo phrase like that. It's coordinated. These are missions. These are assignments that the demons are on. And apparently they can spend decades doing their mission and just hiding out in your luxury hotel. Sounds like kind of a sweet gig. Yeah, you're only working on this one person. Well, I, I guess they're probably not just working on one person. That's an interesting thought. Is there like one demon of lust who's going to all the different people? Well, th- or? Then we run into our same problem that we had with Jezebel because she, quote unquote, seems to be everywhere all the time. Like if you send out a memo to Jezebel, does it go to 500,000 demons or do they have right. code names? You know, like uh, how did they assign the email? TK651, something like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. How do they address the correspondence, which I assume has updated to email since screw tape letter days? One would freaking hope D- so. D-mails. And then you're sending emails to the wrong Jezebel, and then you're like, <laughs> oh my God, this is so embarrassing. I was just bad-mouthing Jezebel oh, X, I'm so sorry, yeah. and I sent it to Jezebel Q. I sent this to Jezebel oh 02003500009. <laughs> I meant to send it to seven. Oh, no, and I fucked her. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, he also mentioned somewhere in here that there's a demon of religion. Yeah, or that religions have different ways of addressing or naming what we call demons and sometimes what they think are holy figures are demons. That's probably true also, but this was like a demon whose job it is to bring you into false religions. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, and of course, anything but Bob's flavor of Christianity is a false religion. Right. <laughs> so he, I know he specifically mentioned Mormonism, yep. called it a cult, yep. Hinduism, Buddhism. Those are all demons trying to grab oh, you those. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that was what he was linking to the kingdom level of organization is that yep. demonic kingdoms can be Hinduism, Buddhism, or Mormonism. Thanks, Bob. That's great. <laughs> It really helps us understand the contours of the hotel in your brain. (laughs) Right. Yeah, so he tells us about some of the features of a person who has demons, how you might know that a demon's there. One is disease. Yeah, look look at uh, their health. Inherited physical abnormalities. Mm -hmm. Muscular and skeletal malfunctions. Disability, I assume we're talking Mm -hmm. about. And then, oh boy, this gets complicated, mental health trouble. (laughs) So demons can both cause mental health problems or simply exploit mental health problems, or you could have a mental health problem that looks like a demon but isn't. Woo, blurred lines. Yeah, no kidding. What a little knot he's created. At this point, he's talking about DNA, that demons can affect your DNA. We've mentioned this before. And that they can even affect molecules. Wow. Not molecules. That's quite the hat trick. He also references his book, Curse Breaking, which has 25 pages. Of course, he knows the exact number (laughs) in the back that deal with every conceivable kind of curse. So as he's going through this list that Carrie and I are about to unpack some more, just know that there are far more infirmities and curses that could be referred to, and you can find them in that book. Do you have that book? I don't, at least not that I've been able to find. I may need to order a copy. I don't think I have that one either, and I'd like to. I'd like someone to double check on these twenty-five pages. I mean, I have this DVD series on curse breaking. So that one is a curse breaking. Yeah, it's called curse breaking. So I assume it's the same content. One would think, though, as we've established, Bob does change his when mind. When I've got a so. spare ten hours, I'll watch it. 
<laughs> yeah, you know what? He's kind of like L. Ron Hubbard in that regard. He, well, not L. Ron Hubbard, the Scientology Church, mm. in that he keeps sort of updating the tech. Yeah, and absolutely. if you reach too far back, you might be actually getting bad information. Ah, interesting. So, yeah, there's also demons who create relationship problems, mm-hmm. problems in family, love, sex, the church. And, of course, demons who draw you to the world of witchcraft, New Age, Satanism, mm. Aboriginal practices. <laughs> yes. So broad. So broad. Yeah. Uh, pantheism, um, African witchcraft, Afro-Caribbean witchcraft, Druidism, Satanism, Thelemic dark arts, shamanism, anything, of course, that doesn't smack of evangelical Christianity. Although Catholicism, again, seems to play kind of a wiggly role here. It's never mentioned as like... Mm you know, potentially dangerous. There's supposed to be something like 10,000 different sects of Christianity. And I'm Mm -hmm. guessing Bob would be able to point to a good swath of 3,000 that he would say, yeah, they're on the right path, more or less. Oh, interesting. I wonder if he'd commit to that in any direction. Well, he'd probably tell you a number, and then later on he'd realize that he underestimated (laughs) <laughs> or, overestimated. or overestimated whatever makes it so that he can whatever makes it a little more, more shocking <laughs> exactly yep so he gives us a breakdown of the demonic kingdom's characteristics first of all obedience is absolute a demon must do as told so no independent thinking going on or blank 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 order is maintained at any cost they don't specialize but they do collaborate so there might be some actual like load sharing between demons. Like, hey, I can help you. That's I nice. can help you out with your mission. Hey, yeah. that's form, cool. Good form for them. Little crack teams. Yeah, collaboration seems like an awfully nice quality for demons to have. Assignments are specific. They are patient, and they can wait many generations to carry out their assignments. Cohesion is maintained. They communicate with each other and demons in other kingdoms, so they can talk across. False religions. Punishment is meted out for disobedience. And I wonder what that is. Like, apparently they can torture themselves. They can torture other demons if they fall out of line. Wonder what what is the pain that you deal to a spiritual entity? Some sort of agony and torment. Yeah. I wonder what they really hate. I guess because he's like waving crosses at right, them. Right. They don't like exactly. that. They hate holy water. They hate holy things. So what are the demons going to do? Wield crosses at other demons. Apparently, they have some other way to make them squirm and writhe in agony. I'd make them watch, like, God's Not Dead, (laughs) Dove TV, um, Pure Flicks. Yeah, totally. I love that stuff. Listen to... Not if I were a demon. Listen to uh, Point of Grace or For Him. Uh, Just K-Love Radio. They put them in the K-Love Radio room. They're like, (laughs) ah! Ride agony. Or even worse, like Christian rock, where they're like, Yeah, this is our music. And then they're like, Jesus, no, we he's talking it about in. Jesus, make it stop. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's syncopated, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> thump, thump. I like thump, thump. <laughs> and then another aspect is that demons report to higher ups. So you have demons reporting to rulers, rulers reporting to powers. Powers reporting to principalities and principalities reporting to Lucifer. So there you go. There's your hierarchy of evil. And I just think it's interesting that Bob assumes that even though the Bible never really gives a clear ordering of demons, just that the 
vocabulary of their hierarchy has to be in the Bible somewhere. So anytime that we have a phrase like powers and principalities, Bob gets all excited and says, oh, good, we can latch onto that and assume that that's an integral part of their order as if the, the Bible author somehow knew. I'm describing two ranks of demonic hierarchy. It seems a little... This reminds me... Convenient. This reminds me so much of the church my ex-boyfriend from college grew up in, where oh, wow. just the tiniest phrase gets blown out into this very complicated orthodoxy and all these moving parts and strong dedication to like this specific way of thinking about it. I remember in particular that his church believed that in heaven there was like a very clear strata. So there were people who barely get in and they're washing the floors and yes, they're saved, but like they don't have a great status in heaven. Oh, wow. So because they don't have limbo as kind of punishment to make people wait a little longer to get into heaven. That's, I think, kind of how the Catholics do it. Like we, we need to reward people who are extra good by getting a better heaven experience. So we tell them they're storing up treasures in heaven. They're going to get more jewels in their crown. Or for the Catholics, they're going to spend less time in limbo. But wow, so your boyfriend's church taught that you might be on cleanup, like eternal KP duty in heaven. That's right. Yeah. And then there would be other people who have huge mansions and just get to hang out, but they also have staff. I mean, it just sounded like this world. (laughs) after a while I was like okay so you have just like rich and poor people you just get to do this whole thing again it's so wild one of those verses that really interested me and uh, you know invites that sort of speculation is 2 Corinthians 12 2 it says I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven whether it was in the body or out of the body Uh, I do not know God knows and God uh, knows what the third heaven is what does that mean Well, the Mormons know. Right. The Mormons have so that, a specific answer That's one for thing you. they can point to and say, aha, look, we have multiple layers of heaven, the terrestrial, telestial, and celestial. Anyways, there's little things in the Bible, and you can really run with them. And anytime anyone's giving you some really heavy theology about angels and demons and what they do, just know they're running pretty fast and loose with the Bible. So Bob gives us five things to remember just to assure us that don't worry, we're on the winning side. First of all, demons are outnumbered two to one because of that. Hell yeah. That fall from the heavens. And he points to Revelation. Oh, right. That 12 4. The angels. There are twice as many angels. Right, right. And he points to, again, this metaphoric language in Revelation 12 4. His tail drew a third of the stars. And we're at the end of times. But of course, that's a reference to the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> number two, in the end, a single angel will cast Lucifer into the pit. Number three, love always wins over hate. Holiness always overcomes depravity, which... Is that true? Exactly. Like, really, does it? Like, is everybody at the end of their life really experienced the triumph of holiness over depravity and love over hate? You're right. 100% of the yeah, time? Yeah, I, wow. I don't know what to... Who knew? I don't think that bears out. Number four, <laughs> the Holy Spirit always outsmarts the devil. Okay, is that true? How so? <laughs> exactly. Tell me Yeah, more. how does that actually play out in the real world? And Bob says, like, have you ever seen, like, those shows about criminals doing dumb things? He even tells the story about a criminal coming up to the teller's counter, and he wants to have her give him all the money, and she says, okay, I just need to see your ID. See your ID, that's and right. And he hands it over. And so he says, yeah, okay, the devil's smart. Sure, he's clever. 
got to pay lip service to that, but he can never outsmart the Holy Spirit. Yeah, sure, Bob. He's going to hand over his ID. <laughs> exactly. Dumb devil. And finally, number five, all the best laid plans of Satan underestimate the grace of God. So somehow Satan knows all the rules and what's going to happen in the end, but he always, he always just forgets just how great the grace of God is. And he is more powerful than we are, clearly. But don't worry, we can figure that out, which is why I'm telling you. Uh-huh. Uh, so he just wants us yeah. to know that even though Satan's powers appear great, we can remember that the intelligence of evil is corrupt and doomed to ultimately fail. Exorcism is an important task, and you're on the right side. So let's carry on to course number seven. Unit seven, a survey of demonic activity. All right, now we're getting the meat. I'm excited. This is a very know your enemy kind of unit. Mm -hmm. You know, by understanding Lucifer, we can better deal with him. So first, we're going to get a survey of the various titles Lucifer is given in the scriptures and what those titles tell us about him. Mm -hmm. So first title, accuser. So Satan will try to accuse you, and that means the exorcist. He'll try to accuse you of evil. He mentions you might even be falsely accused of crimes when you get into exorcism, (laughs) which always makes me wonder, like, oh, what's the story there? Bob, tell me more. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So what are some things I might get falsely accused of? Just, like, shout them out. What are some ideas? Satan is also called the adversary. Mm -hmm. He is your enemy, and you should stay sober and vigilant to resist him. And Bob said, act as if you are always in danger and that an attack could come at any moment, which sounds like an unpleasant way to live. Yeah, yeah, constant vigilance. Satan is also called the murderer (laughs) because he wants us all to go to hell and die a spiritual death. He's also the liar. Psychics lie, oracles lie, Satanists lie, witches lie, all who follow the devil lie. And the best that you can get is a partial promise fulfilled. Sometimes there will be some truth hidden within the lies or lies within the the truth. But just know that that is always the devil's aim, to lie. I mean, like all people also tell the truth and lie, so I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to get from that. But he said, demand truth during your exorcisms. Every once in a while, that will sort of compel them to spit it out. Right. And you want to look for consistency. So you want to compare it to other exorcisms you've had, presumably compare it to what Bob is telling you he's experienced. If, you know, this demon's telling you something that just totally doesn't square with any of your other experience talking to demons, you know that he's Well, then you've got a convenient way to cast that doubt aside. (laughs) So if anything sounds like play acting or confusion or 6,000 generations, well, it can't be true, obviously. So the demon's lying to me. Yep. I'm always reminded in demonic interactions, the way Bob describes them, of that little logic puzzle where you encounter two people on the road and one always tells the truth and one always lies. (laughs) Hmm, How can I hoodwink this demon into telling me the truth? Yeah, the riddle that's like, they're standing in front of two doors and the one on the left always lies and the one on the right tells the truth, but you need to go through door A and how about you ask them to... (laughs) This one's my favorite title of Satan. Prince of the Power of the Air. Yeah, Prince and the Power of the Air. That's a pretty good title. So, Oh, definitely. But also what Bob extrapolates is really fascinating. He says, demons are all around us. They're not off in hell. They are in, he specifically says, they are in the gaseous envelope Mm -hmm. that surrounds the earth. So I'm like, the atmosphere? When he says, um, we don't know. 
just how far that extends. Maybe it ends at the stratosphere. Or maybe it continues to the stars. I don't know. So I guess in a commercial airline, you don't get quite outside of demonic influence <laughs> range. But I wonder, like in the International Space Station, can demons get there? Right. Yeah. It's like, what's it called? The Carmen line? I guess they could the, follow uh, you in your uh, space shuttle. Oh, I don't know the Carmen line. It's Carmen or Carmon line. Essentially where we would say space begins. Obviously, there's oh, no okay. real line between the atmosphere and space. Uh, like our atmosphere is nearly indistinguishable at a certain yeah, place. Yeah, something and, like 50 um, to uh, 100 miles. They think it's now 62 miles above okay. the surface. They. They. That's what they think. <laughs> yeah, so then I was thinking like, okay... Are they nitrogen? Like what? Because <laughs> like gas is gas. Where are they fitting in the gas? Yeah, and, and if they are tied to particular altitude, then it makes you wonder how far underground does that extend? And does Bob believe that demons live oh, in the right. core of the earth? Uh, clearly, there have been many people in the past who did actually believe that. And, yeah. and Bob seems scientifically savvy enough. You know, he's not a flat earther. He's not talking about the firmament or anything. Yeah. But I think... When you get into that discussion, I would imagine he deflects and says, well, they're spiritual beings. They don't actually live under the crust of the earth. But I'm adding it to my questions for Bob. But yeah, I've also heard him say that they take up mass. So... Like Catholics. Uh, <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> it's uh, hard to find consistency But yeah, where, there, where but... is hell? Is it a location or is it purely spiritual right. remove? Is it in a different dimension that you couldn't actually travel to? I think I've talked about this on the show before, but there's a well-meaning guy who lives behind my mother-in-law's house in a little rental side house, and he's got still anti-Obama bumper stickers and oh, wow. an interesting character who will kind of sneak up on you and then talk very loudly, and he freaks us out every time. Anyways, <laughs> he means well, but he's just, he's startling, I think is the best word yeah. to describe this guy. And one time we were talking in the backyard <laughs> And he, he told me, you know, they found heaven and they took photos of it and the government has oh, shit. the government has hidden those photos of heaven. The idea was that a satellite or I think he actually named Hubble had spotted heaven and they went, Oh wow, there it is, the glory, the power of heaven, and then it was squelched. And I just have to think Okay, well, would it be visible to the naked eye then? Like, what? why would you have to right. hide? Or any amateur astronomer could point their telescope at the same spot. You can't block off a part of the sky. Yeah. Is it just under sufficient magnification? How did they know it was heaven? Why do they not want us to know? Yeah, it, it just opens up a whole can of worms. Um, just as a, an aside at the very beginning of this course was he described Satan's bony finger I think it was in the note. He gives a, the little PDF of notes each time. And yeah. it didn't sound like he was saying it in a metaphorical way. So again, I wondered, what does he think the devil looks like, that he has a bony finger? Yeah. Yes, he sounds like he actually takes up space. Right. So he, is he in the gas? Is he nitrogen? That's what I want to know. Yeah. How far up can a demon survive? In the atmosphere, and does it have horns? I want to know these things. Do they breathe? Because if so, they're going to need a certain gaseous ratio. Now I'm worried about them. Are they okay? <laughs> and I would love to hear a numerical estimate that Bob has of how many demons there are. Because right. he's cast 30,000 of them to the pit. 
where presumably they can't get back out, but it doesn't seem to have depleted the forces at all. And as the human population has expanded, it doesn't seem like they're running out of demons for these seven plus billion people on the planet. But then I think back to when we talked to that one psychic that you were texting with and we asked how many angels there were and she were said like seven yeah six some some number you could count on your hands i was like what what you talking yeah, about yeah this is not even the kind of gathering that the california government would come down on in covid yeah and if yeah, a third of the demons were cast out of heaven well then you got 3 right <laughs> <laughs> right just say 3 <laughs> interesting all right what comes next Gary? Unit 8, Legal Rights and Strongholds. Ooh, Legal Rights. Okay, so we're going to learn how to handle lawsuits when people sue you after you've (laughs) hurt them during exorcism or messed with their minds. (laughs) That would actually be useful information, but no. We are going to talk about the legal rights of demons. Mm -hmm. So you might be thinking to yourself, well, what's the difference between a demon having legal rights in your body, soul, spirit, hotel, and demons having... A stronghold in your person. Boy, this course really speaks to the questions in my life because I always wondered that. (laughs) How do demons get a legal right and or stronghold? And what's the difference? Two words that I hadn't heard until Bob Larson (laughs) used them. I wonder what they mean. We've invented the problem and we have a solution. (laughs) And don't worry, it takes many words. So basically... Legal rights are very basic. It's how a demon gets in, but they don't necessarily have a lot of power there. As he was talking about it, I was like, okay, it's like getting a job versus having tenure. Yeah. At some point, it's harder to get kicked out. That's better than all of his analogies. (laughs) He boiled it down to legal rights are how the devil gets in and strongholds are how the devil stays in. So that's your tenure there. So an example of a legal right. Okay. Maybe you play the Ouija board one time. Oh, big that mistake. That could let the demon in. Mm-hmm. But say you renounce it, you're like, I shouldn't have done that. I was ignorant. I'm never going to do it again. Maybe everything's okay at that point. But let's say you play the Ouija board and then you're like, I freaking love the Ouija board. It's my new thing. And you're doing it all the time. You get that it's evil, but that's what you like about it. Okay, now you're probably getting into a stronghold situation. It's like a vampire. They come and they knock on your door. This isn't Bob's metaphor. This is mine. But they knock on your door. They can't come in unless you actually invite them in. It's Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> quote unquote true yeah, Karen, didn't you know vampires no. cannot physically enter your house unless you invite them in huh that's a good part of the mythos yeah i like that along with them uh. not being visible in reflections and stuff so it's yeah. kind of like that with demons but though they need permission to enter in your permission does not have to come in the form of i ross blodger hereby invite you beelzebub into my hotel Rather, you have to do one of these things like you've mentioned, the Ouija board, visit a psychic, essentially any of our episodes, and (laughs) that gives them the right. So you may not have realized that you were giving them the right, but you were giving them the right. Right, which then becomes very confusing because we know that there are these generational demons who you did not give permission to, but your ancestor did. Yeah, so they signed off on it essentially. Boy, thanks, ancestor. Yeah. And also, yeah, boy. Bob gives the example of a demon could get the right through something like fornication. So let's say you cheat on your spouse. Mm-hmm. 
then the demon- Or just have sex before you're married. Uh, The demon could enter you then, (laughs) but then lust would provide the stronghold. So more than metaphors, Bob kind of sells all this with these propositions that really Mm. confused me. Like, I had to stare at them for a while for each one of these propositions. But, like, proposition number one is a legal right opens the door for a demon to enter. A stronghold gives ground for the demon to stay. Okay. Follow Prop you. two. A legal right gives permission. A stronghold provides cover. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cover. All right. Sure. It didn't reify into, like, a concrete mental image for me. Prop number four, a legal right is extracted in an instant by confession and renunciation. A stronghold requires time to be progressively removed by a process of healing. Right. Okay, I follow that one. So Bob can perform his exorcism on you and he can break all the legal rights and cast the demon to hell. But I guess somehow the demon may still have a stronghold and you need to take time to work it out of the basement of your hotel. Okay, that's not how I read that. I took it as, let's take the Ouija board example. You only play it one time. It's because your sister breaks it out. You didn't realize. You were 10. And then when it's over, your mom says, oh, you shouldn't fool around with that. That's bad. And you say, oh my gosh, I had no idea. God, I'm sorry. So now like the demon isn't going to have any power to stay with you. But if you just like get into it, and you're doing the Ouija board throughout your teenage years, let's say. Now you're okay. going to need someone like Bob to actually exercise the thing out of you. Inch, oh, okay. Because I was starting to think of it maybe like a bacterial infection. Like you knock out the bacteria, but you still have a lot of damage that was done by it. And your body needs that mm. time to heal. Okay. See, I see it as like a tumor. You know, <laughs> you can get it out early, but you don't want it to metastasize because at that point you're now going to have to deal with the whole system. Okay. Question for Bob. Is it a tumor? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Proposition number five, a legal right circumvents the grace of God. A stronghold seeks to avoid the effects of surrender and sanctification. That yeah, doesn't what? help me at all. What does that mean? No, you're just making this more complicated. I know. These are not helping. I Also, I just picture him sitting there with like a huge thesaurus next to him. <laughs> uh, prop six, a legal right is often rooted in generational sin. A stronghold's power right. is in current behavior. So I had to think. Which is what? Okay. Uh, but I used the Ouija board in my lifetime. That was the legal right. Uh, what are you saying? Right. I'm confused. I know. It's so confusing. And earlier, somewhere in point three, he mentioned that legal rights are caused by behavior and strongholds are feelings based, which kind of makes sense. You know, like the initial behavior, but then it sort of lives inside you and you want to do it all the time. But then that doesn't square with this part because this if I have to be currently sitting to have a stronghold, that's not feelings based. Yeah. Uh, this it, it, only it makes things muddier. Yeah. These yeah. props are not helping. Here we go again. Prop number seven a legal right is a matter of spiritual justice. A stronghold holds the innocent in bondage apart from grace and mercy. See, now you get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, okay, I can kind of start to work with that one, but I'll leave you, the listener, to figure that out. Prop eight, a legal right continues generation to generation. A stronghold requires a cause of conduct in each new generation. Right. Okay, I actually, I follow that one. Okay, that's interesting. So you don't inherit the full weight of the baggage from, say, your parent. You just get that legal right. The demons start a new task or assignment in you. Yes, I think so. Like inheriting a 
genetic predisposition for something. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say you have the predisposition for colon cancer, uh, but then you eat a shit ton of meat. Like y- Now you actually activated that risk. Like, you might be predisposed to eczema, but you never get it until, <laughs> uh, until you walk over hot coals too many times. Yeah, yeah, just as a random example. And yeah. then you need an... But, like, that would be so ridiculous. Oh, who would do that? What an idiot. That would be... Come on. Then you would need an eczemercism. <laughs> and you still haven't found one. <laughs> no. All right. Proposition number nine. A legal right is specific to external words and actions. A stronghold is invested with internal effective states of consciousness. And at this point, it's so, like, I mean, these are just words. You're confusing me, Bob. Stop <laughs> it. I follow it. I get what he's saying in this part, but he said it before. He's just saying, like, you have the actual experience, but then it lives inside you. You know, you do meth one time, and then you <laughs> want to do meth all the time. Yeah. Okay, I get it. But, like, you don't need to keep restating this in new ways. Yeah, okay, you know, that one does make a little more sense than some of the others. And then proposition number 10, a legal right is about what an individual does. A stronghold is about who they are. That right. that really threw me for a loop. What do yeah. I do with that? But you said legal rights could be generational. That's not what I do. Yeah. I, I didn't invent my mom. I didn't take a fruit from a snake. Yeah. 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 Who would? I I don't even like apples. A stronghold is about who they are. What? I guess I could make that work within his system, but I can make it work within one version of his system, but then he contradicts it. So whatever. Okay, so here are some of the most common legal rights. Okay. Sin, sure. Hereditary, the occult, abandonment, and he means your own abandonment, being abandoned by someone right. else, addiction, and abuse. Now again, abuse of you. Right. Being abused. He doesn't mention what happens if you abuse someone, but if you are abused, you might Yeah, we've anything. talked about this. You're like... Not only did you get victimized, but now you've got a demon infestation thanks to it. Yep. Yep. Great. Cool. I wonder if he would say that explains the cycle of abuse, that if you have abused, you're more likely to have been abused. So maybe that's how he'd get around. Uh, That's his bread and butter right there. And then some of the most common strongholds are fear. So anyone who has fear, (laughs) just know... That's a demon. Uh-huh. Fear, anger, rejection. Wait, wait. I think this is important to note here that fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Is that Star Wars? Yeah, a Yoda phrase from the prequel trilogy. I just love that he starts with fear and anger because it makes me think of the Yoda quote. Oh, I see. Yoda is the green one. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No big deal. Fear, anger, rejection, depression, a Abuse victimization, and then he kind of explained what that was. That's having like a victim mentality where you have anger and resentment for those who have wronged you. Then self-hatred is also a sign of a demon. And again, a stronghold. So not just, you know, a demon stopping by. A demon is living inside you, driving these feelings. Yeah, it's all of these things are, you know, you have a problem and now it's worse because... There's an infestation of demons that are wreaking havoc on your internal soul hotel. You need to deal with them. So it's not bad enough that you were hurt. It opened you up to a whole new world of hurt. Right. And by the way, Yoda is not to be confused with Grigu. We've now learned 
Baby Yoda has a name. It's Grigu. Oh, Grigu? It sounds like a pooping disease a baby would have. Oh, did you hear about Kathy's new baby? Oh, yeah. Well, I think he's doing okay. Oh, the Grigu is oh, passed. Yeah, the Grigu is passed. I messed it up. It's Grogu. That's okay. That still sounds like Grogu, a yeah. baby pooping okay. disease. Yeah. But speaking of baby poo, I stepped in poo this morning. Yes. Yes. It was presumably dog poo, but it was so huge. It was like a mountain. And this had to be a huge dog, and their person did not clean up after them, which is so gross. But I was so grateful that I happened to be wearing flip-flops and not my beautiful, gorgeous Rothy shoes. Oh, can you imagine? You would have had to throw them in the wash. Wait a second. You can throw them in the wash. That is true. They are machine washable and they're great. And actually, now that I think of it, I think that this episode comes to you in part thanks to Rothy's. That's fantastic. Well, since we're talking about Rothy's, you can spread some holiday cheer with the newest Rothy styles like winter-ready shoes, brand new bags, and washable masks. Whoa. And they have some really cute holiday-appropriate shoes. Let me tell you, mine, we all know them, we all love them. I describe Uh them all the time. They're green. They have a gold starburst on them. They're perfect for the holidays. I see my wife's Rothy shoes all the time because my wife leaves her shoes throughout the house, and she has many pairs. Mm. Andrew and I one day, like I had found, I think, four pairs of shoes and carried them back to the room in a nice little pile. And then Andrew came in later and he had three pairs of car shoes. <laughs> he said, oh, look what mom left around the house. I was like, I thought I got them all. Anyways, uh, we find the Rothys because uh, they are worn often because they are fantastic shoes. Worn often, yet not worn out, because Rothy's are seamlessly knit with thread made from plastic water bottles, so they're ultra comfortable as soon as you slip them on. And they're also, like we mentioned, machine washable. If they need a refresh, you just toss them in the washing machine and they're good to go. Well, run the washing machine. Don't just toss them in there and then take them out and expect something to have happened. Yeah, good point, Carrie. Thank you, Ross. Good to spell that out. So check out all the amazing shoes, bags, and masks. Available now at rothys.com slash oh no. That's rothys.com, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash oh no. Well, hey, while we're talking about awesome things to get on your feet, I've got something awesome that you can get on your phone. It's oh. called Best Fiends. Oh, that's that game you like so that's much. That's right. I'm playing it all the time as I'm watching movies or having a long talk on the phone or... When Victor edits the podcast, he does such a great job that I can just kind of listen while I'm playing Best Fiends. And every now and then, I hear something like, oh, I could jump in and move stuff around. But for the most part, I can kind of chillax. Ah, so Victor is your best fiend, you might say. He's my best friend of editing. But yeah, Best Fiends is a lot of fun. And every time we talk about this, I open up the app and check on my stats. Some people have told me they like to hear where I'm at. So... I am at level 1,545. <laughs> I'm making progress. I wonder if that's more or less than the number of demons in the universe. Oh, man. There's only one way to find out. Ask Bob Larson. Oh, okay. I thought maybe it was play the game. No. Well, you only know one piece of that equation. 
You only get a little bit of data. No, you're right. You're right. I'm spinning. Um, I'm spinning the fiend of fortune wheel every day. I get uh, some extra little bonuses. But yeah, it's super fun. It's this colorful land that you wander through in this ever revolving planet that is definitely curved. It could be all kinds of shapes. Come to think of it, it's certainly not a flat Earth though. And you encounter all these slugs, and you got to deal with the slugs. And to do that, you gather your best fiends, and you collect a bunch of them. They're these uh, colorful bugs, and they help you. They each have their own special attacks. It's a bunch of little puzzle games. Super fun. I've heard there are 100 million downloads of this game, which is so many. That's wild. I've also heard that it's so many free downloads. to download. And Now, you can buy gold in the game to make certain things easier, to speed you along, but it's free to play. Life is all about connecting something bigger than day-to-day worries, but sometimes you step in dog poo, and what you really need is a break. That's right, and with over 5,000 levels and counting, once you download Best Fiends, boredom won't stand a chance. So download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Oh, but Ross, before you go, a demon just flew into my window. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. We're recording remotely, of course. The window of your hotel. Yes, correct. And handed me some kind of message here. So, Is it like a telegram? I guess, but like it's made of gas. It's made of pure nitrogen. I don't know. Oh, so a jumbotron then. Oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. Oh, what does it say? Well, let's see. Let's see. It's from Enrique Carlos Juan Stevens. Y Acosta de la San Gabriel. Okay. And I'll uh, I'll hold it up to the screen for you. It looks like it's to everybody. Okay. Well, today's episode is brought to you by Celery. When you want a snack but hate flavor. This episode is also brought to you by Turnips. Turnips. At least we're not beets. Now, Carrie wasn't wild about this because I object. She likes beets. I like beets a whole heck of a lot, and I don't really like turnips, but you know what? I'm a team player, and I'm going to roll with your joke. I think Enrique just wanted to support us and speak to his hatred of celery, which I can sign off You know on. what? Yeah, that's right. Celery is just like structured water. Oh, there, there is no, a flavor, it's but so it's- so much worse than Yeah, that. you're right. There's a flavor, and it's bad. Turnip, I don't really get a mental image of, but- Beets, I am not a fan, so we disagree. We disagree on beets. Oh, my God. I love beets, but I also love cucumber, which you don't like. Or you find just like maybe this. Don't put it in my water. Space. Oh, whoa. It makes water so much better. Well, Enrique, you have started a conversation, which I'm sure was your aim. Oh, but wait. There's one more message that came in from the demon. Oh, another Jumbotron. So this one is for Mindy Moo Bulls from Ryan Lovebug and all the furry animals. Happy 40th birthday. Oh, and great job on kicking breast cancer's butt. We are all incredibly proud of you, our brave girl, Love and Snuggles. Oh, that's wonderful. Happy birthday. Yeah, congratulations. That's fantastic. It looks like her birthday is December 16th. Well, happy birthday coming very soon. I hope that... Ryan and all the furry animals buy you distinct birthday presents and holiday presents because you deserve that. Oh, yeah. That's tough being born next to a major gift-giving holiday. Absolutely. Especially this one. Mm-hmm. You know, just looking at this Jumbotron, I think that's probably the biggest challenge in her life right now. <laughs> yeah. It's like now, whether she's going to get enough holiday presents. Now that cancer's taken and care I of. I hear you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, we wish you well and... uh Thanks for listening. That's awesome.
Okay, let's dive back in with course nine. What's this one called? This one is called Course Breaking Part <gasps> One. Oh boy, this is exciting because Wait, course if breaking? You'll recall, Are we breaking the course? Did I say that? <laughs> oh, you know what? I did say it because I wrote it. <laughs> it says Unit Nine, Course Breaking Part One. <laughs> course Nine, Course Breaking. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> course Breaking Part One. And this is very exciting because if you'll recall in our last episode, we talked about curses earlier in this course. <laughs> I <laughs> Curses in the course. And... I was saying, oh my God, this process must be very dense. It must be very complicated. How do you get rid of a curse? We're spending so much time yeah. unpacking what it is. Right. Boy, this must be a many-state process. Let's see how complex it is. Okay. So, unit nine. I like that we're taking a curse course. <laughs> yep. I wonder if Bob has any problem with cursive. Oh, whoa. Or cursory glances. Whoa. Or a Whoa. Or a computer cursor. <gasps> Whoa. Who is it cursing? Or, Why? Okay, con- or continue. Curse. <laughs> nope. I don't have any others. So there are actually intentional and unintentional curses. Mm. I think that's pretty interesting. Like I think of a curse as sort of its foundational feature is someone intentionally put this on you. Right. That that wouldn't give him enough work to do. So we have to introduce (laughs) unintentional curses. Now, he's going to juxtapose in this unit curses versus blessings. Mm -hmm. So blessings come from obedience. And some of the standard blessings, the most common ones, are fertility. (laughs) No thanks. Agriculture. Having food, so food stability, safe travels, defeat over enemies, financial abundance, Mm. favor, which feels very broad, good weather, and leadership. May the road rise up to meet you. Thank you, Ross. And also with you. That's a very common blessing. Yeah, it's nice to hear him talk about blessings. Yeah, well, blessings don't bring you any need for an exorcist. Oh, good point. There's more work needed exercising There's more demons. courses and curses. That's right. But yeah, we want to hear about curses. And generational curses are not bound by time and will remain dormant until permission is given to attack. So it's interesting. They can kind of skip a generation, sort of like a, a negative allele or something. It can just kind mm-hmm. of lie lurking and waiting f- to express in the next generation. And Bob says, we've all got a pervert or a liar or a thief somewhere back in our <laughs> past. I guess that's yeah, true. Yeah, true. You know what? You make a good point, Bob. He says you may have tried therapy or good behavior, all kinds of other things, and yet your problems persist. And that's usually a good sign. Oh, wait a second. I think we've got a demon here. Now, of course, the legal right needs to be removed first. So that's usually the first point of order. Bob unpacks these two categories. So there's implicit. So that's just his fancy way of saying unintentional. And Mm -hmm. explicit, intentional. This is a point where I thought, Okay, just say intentional and unintentional. Perfectly good words. Yeah, those are almost straight synonyms. Why do we need implicit and explicit? But okay. So here we go with something that kind of reminded me of the propositions from the previous course. So the implicit or unintentional curse is the inexorable, immutable consequence of conduct and communication inherited transgenerationally, continuing until altered by spiritual intervention. I actually spaced out yeah, while you were saying that. That's a lot of words, Bob. <laughs> Did you need all those words? I, 
I mean, genuinely, I don't know what you just <laughs> said in the, the most literal possible way. Can you say it again? Uh, I was going to say, I could say it again, but it'll do the same thing to you. Okay. Okay, let's try. Implicit. Implicit. The okay. inexorable, Im- okay, can't avoid immutable it. Can't consequence it. of conduct okay. and of doing communication okay, and talking. inherited transgenerationally that you got from your ancestors. Continuing until altered by spiritual intervention. Okay, that keeps on going into generations until you go to Bob or another exorcist to get them gone. It, okay. com- it okay. computes, but it was Ooh. totally a trip down Thesaurus Lane. Right. Oh, you have to say it that way. We didn't need any of that. Okay. You told us all of that in the last You year. ready for explicit? Oh, yeah. We got to put the explicit tag on this. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, shield <laughs> the ears of any minors. The malediction of evil invoked by ritual, ceremony, or incantation with directive intent to bring evil, misfortune, harm, or injury to individuals, institutions, families, or legacies. Okay, so this is more of what I think of when I say... Carrie had her eyes closed and she's slowly like nodding her head back and forth (laughs) as she tries to parse each and every word. Get each word stitched into the sentence. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's more of like what I think of when I think of a curse. Right. So, Someone actually sat there and said, I want bad things to happen to Carrie. Mumbo jumbo, mumbo jumbo, <laughs> raccoon, cattle, foxy tail. And oh, then, I like your curses. That's you fine. Know. <laughs> then, Feel free you know, to curse me and, anytime. And then I'm fertile. Uh-oh. That would be a curse oh, for me. Interesting. A fertility curse. <laughs> curse, hmm. Yeah. So as we say, an explicit curse is purposeful. Usually it's part of a religious observance. It's usually created with malice toward a perceived enemy. Yeah, that's what we all think of as curses. But an implicit curse is not intended, but the result may be the same as if it were part of a ceremony or an incantation. All of this could have been one sentence, and that sentence is, some curses are even unintentional. Yep. And I'd be like, oh. That adds to my understanding of curses. How many words was gotcha. that? Some curses are even unintentional. Five words. That's all I needed. And it had the word even in it. We could take that out if you need it. <laughs> so one verse that he keeps trotting out that he feels is like really foundational in his whole system of legal rights is Proverbs 26.2. And he reads it from... Is that angels or principalities? Uh, this is the, like the sparrow in her wandering, like the swallow in her flying, oh. so the causeless curse does not alight. Oh, yeah, so, I see why he got meaning out yeah, of that. Yeah, so essentially their curses are flying around in the air, but they're not going to land on you unless they have the right to. He got that from That's that? What's the verse again? Proverbs 26.2. And if you look it up, you'll probably see a different version because it's interesting. Every now and then he'll choose some wackadoo version of the Bible to read a verse from because he likes that one better. It serves his purposes a little better. or He likes the phrasing of it. Proverbs 26. He, he read this from the Amplified Bible and the TLB, the Living Bible, which is a terrible translation. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, like a bird, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. Yeah, same idea. Okay, fine. By the way, birds do land. They stop. Birds go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> counterpoint Proverbs writer. It's more like a shark that always swims. Oh, do they swim well asleep? That's, 
you know, I don't even know if that's a myth or not. I want to say it's a myth that s- sharks mm. never stop moving, but everyone always says that. They always have to keep moving I forward. Keep moving forward. Just keep swimming. <laughs> sharks, if you're listening, please email us about this. I don't want to hear from shark experts. I only want to hear from lived experience, but sharks, please let me know whether you swim or not. While you're asleep. And so like Bob insinuated earlier, now we kind of learn how that works. So maybe there is no cause. Maybe the person lives a godly life and never gives the devil a foothold. And so that curse just goes underground, never shows itself. It never materializes, but it can come to their children and their children's children. What a screwy system. Right? Come on. Yeah. Who set that up? Was that you, God? Did you do that? Bad system. God... God, was that you? Your birthday's coming up. Do you want to admit to this? Mm. And uh, Bob gives a couple verses that do support the inheritance of sin, referring to the Decalogue, just a fancy term for the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, it says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. And then in Exodus 34, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So people often try to say, oh yeah, you don't inherit sin or evil or anything from your parents. Bob's like, no, no, you do. You totally do. And there's a reason. I'm Bob Larson. And I mean, he's right. The Bible definitely does in parts teach that. Whatever Jesus said. Yeah, curses generally come from disobedience, though, as we've established, it might be your parents' disobedience Mm -hmm. or some other ancestor way back when. It also occurred to me, because he gets so fixated on ethnicity and heritage and, I mean, basically, anybody who's not white by Bob's account is going to be told that they have demons from Africa or whatever— now, um, he does have but, white devils as well, but... Uh, but they rarely seem to actually appear in his practice. He doesn't just look at Ross and go, oh, you have a demon from Norway right. who did this because he pillaged a village. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't immediately jump to the ethnic demons with right. white people, at least as far as we've seen. So, yeah, where I was going with this is so many white Americans, we do have like a single black ancestor because of slavery, mm. because... I mean, usually rape of slaves. So then how does that play in? Shouldn't we still have all those same things? And it's, again, we were talking about this earlier. You would think that the demon would come from the enslaver, the person who was the one holding the whip, that they would be the one who passed down demons of rage and all that. And maybe they did. But really, Bob seems to focus on the fact like, oh, well, you are being tortured and immiserated by others. Therefore, you have the demon. Great. Right. Great. (laughs) Oh, I I should add, Bob, when he reads that verse about the third or the fourth generation, he clarifies. He says, by the way, don't take that third or fourth generation thing too literally, except as a minimum. (laughs) So a demon can stay in your family for three or four generations or five or six or infinite generations. It could go on forever. Or two, though, right? Nope. Three three or four is the minimum. (laughs) So it always skips at least one? No. It's just, again, Bob kind of interprets the situation to result in more demons. Goodness. Okay, so here are some curses of disobedience. You ready? I've been waiting for them. Plagues, disease, death, mildew, one of my personal Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) favorites, fever, drought, unanswered prayers, Mm -hmm. military defeat, poverty. Okay. Mental illness, loss, 
failure, slavery, excellent, sanity, insect attacks, mm-hmm. locust infestations, marriage problems, and cannibalism. It's a very long list. There are 30 total in the full list. Yeah, this is just some of my It faves. includes uh, loss of possessions, slaveries in there, incurable yep. illnesses. But, I mean, the worst thing of all, mildew. Oh, yeah. And nakedness. A curse of nakedness. <laughs> wow. Huh. huh. All, all right. right. I'm so hung up on this mildew part. Though, yeah, Ross. no, you're right. I think that's one of those things that we've kind of taken away from the spiritual realm and ascribed to microorganisms. Yeah, to not doing your damn laundry in time. But you put them in the washing machine and you forgot to put them in the dryer. But I guess Bob would say and now you're cursed. you can have spiritual mildew. Yeah, and all of these 30 curses are taken from Deuteronomy, and Bob has carefully extracted them. And he lets us know Deuteronomy contains four times more curses than it does blessings. Hmm. Okay. All right. Honest. Another favorite phrase by Bob in all of this was a curse is not broken. Until it is broken. Let me repeat that. No, you don't need a to. Curse you didn't need to say it one not time. Broken until <laughs> it is broken. I was like, Can you say that again? I didn't. <laughs> I was like, that's oh. a nice little tautology there, Bob. All right. Yeah. Uh, that's even polite to call that a tautology. <laughs> a tautology usually is like you used a synonym at the end, not literally <laughs> the same word. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. So there we go. We've got... He is running out of material. Gotten through course nine. All right. So unit 10 here. It's the big show, y'all. You want to know, okay, but how do I break a curse? I have paid my tuition. I have come. I want to be an exorcist. This is my calling in life. Please tell me, how will I gain the skills, the step-by-step know-how on how to break a curse? Well, this is the moment we teach you. That's right. It's part two of curse breaking. Which is unit 10. Okay, so questions to ask about curses. You're going to want to know who created it. Was it you? Was it an ancestor? Because hereditary curses are stronger. The stuff your ancestors did are stronger than the stuff you did. Huh. That's Um, interesting. There's like an amplification effect rather than a dilution effect. It seems like then as humanity continues and people have more and more ancestors, every generation has to be more fucked than the previous. Yeah, it's like Bob has more work to do than any previous generation has had to do. Wow, that's really interesting. (laughs) It also makes it sound like the moral thing to do would be like, well, don't have kids. Like you're saddling someone with just like even more shit than you Yeah, yeah, you're just like a demon incubator. Yeah, boy. Okay, second question. How was it created? Was it ceremonial? Was it a ritual? Again, was it passed on from your parents? Mm -hmm. And by the way, we should note here that we're following down the six W's. So just like being a good mm-hmm. journalist, you need to ask these questions when you're talking to demons and figuring out where they're from. So we've talked about who, we've talked about how. What comes next, Gary? I like that we're calling how a W. Yep, there's a um, W in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. What is the nature of the curse? Mm. So is it a death curse? Is it a health curse? Maybe it causes poverty. Maybe it affects your sex life or makes you want to have sex with people you're not married mm-hmm. to. When was it initiated? Yes. You want to 
ask the demon how many generations it goes back. How many? And we've seen we've seen Bob do this. I wish the course included instruction on how to most effectively utter those phrases because Bob gets so into that. <laughs> how many? Yeah, that's more Shakuntali like to actually coach you uh, on how to say. Yeah, it. yeah. And he does a little bit of the math here. He says, "Oh, generation is roughly twenty to forty years." And so when I hear a demon say a thousand generations, well. From a biblical standpoint, I know that's just not possible. Uh, right. So, uh, so now we know he believes maybe not in a flat earth, but in a very young earth. And he also uh, differentiates here when he's talking about when the curse was originated uh, between transgenerational curses and intragenerational curses. So we've already figured out the transgenerational oh. curses. Those go back linearly, chronologically through the ages— but he then mentions intragenerational curses. Those go back linearly and include all of the affected relatives throughout the ages. Nephews, <sighs> nieces, outlaws, and in-laws, he says. Very clever. <laughs> um, but this is how he can get this whole cohort of demons uh, swarming around a person because it doesn't just include their direct patrilineal or matrilineal Ascendance, it's also everybody out laterally as well. Yeah, I wonder then if your living relatives can also do this to you. Like you going firewalking, does that affect your sister Jennifer? Mm, yeah, or my nieces and nephews, or is it only because yeah. they haven't been born yet? When exactly, how exactly does this spread? I, yeah. I would love to know those specifics. Where did it originate? And this usually pertains to your heritage. Here we go. <laughs> right. Same old, same old. I think at the end of one of our episodes, I did cut in that audio where he was talking about looking for African witchcraft if he's meeting someone who's African-American or anybody who at some point came from Africa. I thought, well, that's all of us. (laughs) All of us. (laughs) Um, So, If you ever came from the ocean. So this is the section where that comes from, where he talks about the Irish uh, having their curses going back to the Druids. And in Scandinavia, Odinistic gods of violence and war. Native American, he usually asks which tribe. And I guess Bob has a bunch of knowledge of tribal demons. Sure, I'm sure he thinks he does. And (laughs) again, his example of this, the Cherokees, they suffered genocide in the form of the Trail of Tears. So on one hand, okay. he's yep. he's admitting, yes, that was a horrible thing that happened to them, and they're still suffering from it because of demons. Right. And it is their burden to fix and not mine because I am the descendant of the victor. But then he doesn't let that lie there. He says, they did witchcraft along the way to get back at the white man for the unspeakable misery put oh, upon them. for God's them. sake. <laughs> For Bob's sake. On the way of the Trail of Tears. Yep, they did witchcraft, and that just made things worse. Oh, my God. Bob. Bob. (laughs) And he does does there say, and the Germans, we all know Germans. Sure. Okay. He says, being half German, I feel free to comment. They have demons of brutality, war, violence. And he says, ethnic profiling is helpful. Of course, this involves some... Oh, he used that phrase. He does. And he says he's aware that all of our antennae are going to rise up. And he says, right. of course, this involves some generalizations, and it's not intended to be racist or discriminatory. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, good, 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 good. I was worried that you wanted it to come off racist. That My primary concern <laughs> was whether you wanted it to come <laughs> off racist, not whether it did. 
My primary concern was I wanted to make sure you had a lack of self-awareness. And now that I know that you do, <laughs> it's completely fine, so that, There Bob. you go. All right. And then finally, why did a demon do this? So was the demon trying to create an obsession, affect your sexuality, mm-hmm. make you cheat on your wife, make you thieve, make you, I don't know, break federal law in order to become president. Yeah, one of the interesting examples here was a death obsession. Maybe somebody in your family was just obsessed with death. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is interesting. Those people who wear all black. (laughs) Right. It's so slimming. He did also mention that the majority of cases of possession that he encounters in Western culture Hmm. are due to rape, incest, molestation, or some form of sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pedophilia. But he also mentions a couple other common types of curses. There are word curses. Mm -hmm. So that's, again, that's what I think of when I think of a curse. Someone actually like spelling out the uh, hoochie-boochie raccoon fox thing. That's usually what we picture. Someone invoking a curse and saying it out loud. I hereby curse you to, you know, may your head grow like an onion in the ground. Right, exactly. That's a good Yiddish Um, curse. Other common curses are illegitimate conception. Of course, in Bob's mind means being born when your parents are not married. Cults, belonging to a cult, paganism, and Freemasonry. But there are also some surprising curse causes, he says. There's infertility. Um, so that's interesting. It seems sounds like infertility can both cause a curse and be the curse. Mm. Oh, interesting. Because before he said you could be cursed with infertility. Yeah, okay. but then I guess that just opens you up more demons. Right. Oh, boy. Another surprising curse cause is victimhood, um, mm-hmm. isolation, blood transfusions. Yeah, that was a surprising one. That sounded a little Jehovah's Witness there. I think they're Christian scientists also, not big fans. Uh, Yeah, and Bob said that one time he needed a blood transfusion, and he had to get powerful prayers said over him before and after to guard the gates against unholy spirits entering through the blood. I mean, makes sense. You're getting someone else's DNA pumped in there. (laughs) Wild. I wonder how he feels about, like, eating anything. Now you're processing something else's oh, DNA, Oh, you know, people too. will say things like that. You know, whoever made these tortillas was angry. The person were... <laughs> oh, I've never heard never that. you never heard that? Oh, man. No. Like, you know, the, thi- <laughs> the things that you eat, they carry the emotions that went into them. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. dear. That's a big thing in kind of the, I don't know, hippy-dippy you know, food wellness That makes area. sense. Maybe I have heard it and it's just not landing right now. I've definitely heard it in terms of animals I mean, this is a little more scientific, but not very. The idea that when animals are killed and they're so stressed out, they release a bunch of cortisol, which is then, you know, affects the muscle tissue or whatever. But oh. that's, eh, okay, really. <laughs> wow, wow, okay. But yeah, it's kind of uh, it's kind of related right. to the Dr. Emoto experiments, you know, that you have right. uh, this negative intentionality and that's somehow seeping into the food matter. It, this is also reminding me of the International Academy of Consciousness. They said that anything that's been touched by an entity then carries a little piece of it. And I said, oh, okay, well, like, what about my iPhone that was, like, made by mm-hmm. Slave people labor. in a real, yeah, a real bad situation? And she was like, yeah, your iPhone has bad energy. There you in. go. Yeah, She's it's just, that exact yeah. same thinking. 
Okay, surprising curse causes. Uh, a couple more. Cremation, tattoos, and piercings. These may surprise you, Bob. They do not surprise me. <laughs> like anything that gives Bob the heebie-jeebies, of that course. He would say that, be. of course, yeah. And Freemasonry and other secret societies are a huge one. So watch out. If you had a grandfather who was in the Masons or some other secret order, you better get that looked into. That's it's a big deal. And Bob does hasten to add, not everything is a curse, okay? I'm not crazy. I'm not saying everything around you is cursed. <laughs> Just most things and people. Sometimes bad things do happen. Sometimes there are bad choices and good choices. Every once in a while. He throws in a little bit of rationality there, but it doesn't last long. Right. He's saying that not all tattoos, not all blood transfusions are going to get you infected with demons, but be wary. That's what he's saying. Just be wary. Hashtag not all tattoos. And then we get to the big twist ending, Ross, mm -hmm. where we finally find out, okay, we've gone through 10 units to find out how do I actually break these curses? Give me the education. Yeah. So that when I come to people with my certificate that says that I am a certified exorcist, they can know that I know the step-by-step process to break a curse, which is... I'm this, getting near the end of course 10. I need to be a warrior. Tell me how. Yes. Are you ready? Okay. This is verbatim. Breaking curses is easy. All you have to do is break them. Declare it done. A simple declaration. Unquote. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Just say, say I break this curse, curse of, of anger. <laughs> I break this curse of cremation. I break this curse of German... Heritage. This. <laughs> I break this curse of tattoo. tattoo. That's it. And uh, yeah, he reminds us of the very important to salvation verse, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, salvation is that easy. So is curse breaking. There you, you just, go. You, I'm so glad that I learned the hierarchy of demons so we could get here. You declare it so. You're going to need that, Carrie, to identify which curse you're breaking before you break it. Mm, mm, mm. And I'm definitely going to need to know who they report to and where they fit in on the chain of commands and what their extension and is. And remember, Carrie, it bears repeating. A curse isn't broken <laughs> until it is broken. That does bear repeating. Can you say that again? A curse isn't broken a curse. until... Wait, so, sorry, I'm okay. so sorry. Can you slow, okay. say it slower? A curse. Okay. A curse. Is not broken... Is not broken... Until... Until... It is broken. It is broken. Oh. See? Whoa, that does bear repeating. This all comes full circle. Can you repeat okay. it? Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> oh, my God. We did it. We're warriors. You really... Yeah, he can fill a level, man. Well, thank you for becoming warriors with us. Oh, they're not warriors, Ross. They're not certified. Okay, that's right. If you want to be a real warrior, you got to sign up and take this course. Because curse breaking, like, oh my God, it's such a multi-step process. So many moving parts, you know. I don't know if they can even remember all the steps I just said. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But we're glad you know about your hotel of demons that lives within your soul. And I hope you get that worked out. Yeah, good luck to you. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. This episode was edited by Victor Figueroa, who probably has demons. You can support all that we do at MaximumFun.org slash join. 
or slash donate. Either way, that helps support our show. It makes all of these investigations possible. And we'll do more fun and interesting things and tell you about them. We'll start them now and then we'll tell you about them in 2029. That's how that works. You can also support us by making a review. Making a review. Yeah, That's right. It. I said it. Do a review. Do a writings about it. Maybe you want to leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. That's one place you could do it. Or maybe you use one of those fancy apps. Leave it there. I know the other times we mentioned leaving reviews, you thought, oh yeah, I should do that one of these days. Today is the day. Yeah, Gabe. Yeah, Gabe. Leave a review. What are you waiting for? Boy, oh boy. Uh, and you too, Gabby. You can also support us at bookshop.org slash shop slash oh no. Maybe you're buying some holiday gifts and you want to uh, benefit an independent bookstore and also benefit us. You can do that there. I also have an Etsy store and Maximum Fun has a merch store that has two great Oh No Ross and Carrie shirts. There are so many ways to make this show happen, to make us find out how to break curses. Very complicated process. You can also tell a friend. Share our show with others. We really love hearing about that. And you can follow us on social media. Heard of it? You can go to facebook.com forward slash onrack, O-N-R-A-C, or on Twitter, we are Ono Podcast. And remember, a curse is not broken until it's broken. Let me repeat that. A curse is not broken until... It's broken. Let me repeat that. A curse is not broken until it's broken. Let me repeat that. A curse is not broken until it's broken. Let me repeat that. A curse is not broken until it's broken. Let me repeat that. A curse is not broken until it's broken. Let me repeat that. A curse is not broken until it's broken. Let me repeat that. A curse is not broken until it's broken. Let me repeat that. Well, hello. I'm Renee Colvert. Hi, I'm Alexis Preston. And we are the hosts of Can I Pet Your Dog? And we got breaking news. We got an expose. And all the beans have been spilled via an Apple podcast review that said, this show isn't well-researched. <gasps> well, yeah, no duh. Of course it's not. Not since the day we started has it been well-researched. Guessing and anthropomorphizing dogs is what we do. The Can I Pet Your Dog promise is that we will never do more than 10 seconds of research before telling you excitedly about any dog we see. I'm going to come at you with top 10 enthusiasm, minimal facts. We're here for a good time, not an educated time. So if you love dogs and you don't love research, well, <laughs> you know what? Come on in to Can I Pet Your Dog podcast every Tuesday on Maximum Fun Network. <laughs> Friendly Fire is a podcast about war movies, but it's so much more than that. It's history. It was just supposed to be another assignment. It's comedy. Under no circumstances are you to engage the enemy. It's cinema studies. It's a hell of a combination. So subscribe and download Friendly Fire on your podcatcher of choice or at MaximumFun.org. accomplished. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.